action. Welcome back to another episode. I didn't say pod. Thank you. I hate that. <laughs> I don't hate it. I just don't like it. Okay. Well, another episode of Coffee in Christ. Which one? Mm, I think it's 27. 28. 28, really? I don't know. I think it's 28. <laughs> I was very confident. You seemed very but... confident in that. It's some. It's it, We're above 25. I know that. So, 27, 28. It doesn't matter. We'll get it one of these days. I'm going to get like a whiteboard and just like erase it every time we get done with it. Episode and all caps. Yeah. We'll do that in the new podcasting area. Absolutely. That'd probably be a really good idea. Maybe not in my dining room. It would be appreciated. I'll put it like on the side. You won't (laughs) notice it. It'd be a small one. Okay. But it'd be good for memorization. Yeah. Pocket size, whiteboard. That would be so cool if they made that. You seem so like genuinely into that. You're I like, I think I want to make that. Uh-huh. I want to invent that. Imagine having a small whiteboard in your pocket. You just pull it out. Well, yeah, but that's different. Your phone, like a genuine like little whiteboard that you can just pull it out and be like, let me show you this. True. That'd Maybe be one the of the like, thing. like a whiteboard that's kind of like a sheet of paper. Like you can like fold it up and then you just like unfold it out and it still like works as a whiteboard. I feel like that's a book before our time. We cannot, I don't think Maybe we're capable. Maybe that is capable. just a sheet of paper that now that I think about it, it is kind of like having a whiteboard if you folded it in your pocket. Just paper. But you can't draw on that paper with Expo marker. Drawing on a whiteboard is fun. It is. Something like satisfying just, about exactly. it. Like, like the noise like... So, I used to go in my mom's classroom and write on her board. I think... It's very satisfying. So then I wrote something inappropriate, and they made me not do it anymore. I was a kid. Oh, poor right? Dylan. I was just—I was in eighth grade. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but I just—I don't mean to get on that. I just think a small whiteboard with a baby marker would be the neatest thing, and pocket size, mm-hmm. of the size of an iPhone. You just pull it out, just. I'm not gonna diss it. I'd use it. Then a small eraser. I would use it. That's neat. <laughs> I will do some inventing. <laughs> do some investing. Go to the drawing board. So stay tuned to Amazon. <laughs> yeah, I'll let you know my release date is. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be a millionaire. Woo! What'd you invent? Baby whiteboards? Baby whiteboards. It'll be a fad and it'll fade. Nobody will have them anymore. That's okay. It's, like, and... it's like fidget spinners. Like they were a fad and the person who made that is probably still a millionaire. That's true. It just has to be fad long enough. Long enough for you to make your money. That's true. It's fine. It can fade away. I won't get it. They'll be like, oh, oh well. <laughs> the, and, but the baby whiteboard would never fade away. Why? That's well, always useful. Exactly. You know what? Let's, stop talking. Let's not release too much information. Yeah, yeah. We don't even want to take the idea. Someone might steal the idea of baby whiteboard. Baby whiteboard. That's, that's what, not even what it's going to be called. I don't know what it's going to be called yet. Small whiteboard. S M O L. Small brand. Small. We're saying too much. I'm just imagining how neat that would be. Really? Okay, sorry. How about tell us about your week? Uh, it was good. It was chaotic. My uh, cousins came in, and my uncle John. He, they came in from Huntsville, and just to spend a weekend. It wasn't much, but went to like the pumpkin patch and just had some fun. Played some games, watched some some movies, and so had a lot of good food. It was chaotic because it's my uncle John and six girls <laughs> so it's a lot at once but it was great i i thoroughly enjoyed it when they slept at our house i slept at here at dylan's house for one night and then two nights and then i went 
back and stayed the last night with them. So yeah, it, was, it was quite enjoyable. Good. Um, besides that, really, this has just been the same old, same old. Just, you know, work, sleep, eat, repeat, you know. nothing. <laughs> that was good. Nice. <laughs> work, sleep, eat, repeat. That's I mean, that's good. it. I mean, that's really how the week, the week's been a good week. It's just normal. Yeah. Nothing new. What about you? Oh, it has been a fun week. Um, I went to a bachelor party this past weekend for Will, my friend I met in college. So he's getting married Saturday, and I'm officiating the wedding, and I'm also a groomsman. So so we had that this weekend, and I came back, um, took a nap in Miss Church. I kind of felt bad about that. I really wanted to come listen to Chase preach, but... I slept. <laughs> I fell asleep on the couch and I woke up as if I'd been asleep for 18 years. I woke years. up like in a, in a cold sweat and I was just like, oh, what happened? And it was like getting dark and I'm like, oh no, I've missed church. <laughs> so it was actually just 5.15, but I did sleep for two hours and 15 minutes. Oh wow. Because I went to sleep at three. Wow, yeah, that's a lot. So, Definitely. Then, um, I mean, it's just, it's been pretty normal. I went to Nashville Tuesday. To get a shirt for said wedding, but a new pullover. I wore it today. Oh, yeah, I did. And I'm wearing the shirts tonight too. Oh. And that's pretty much it. I mean, besides being in the wedding this weekend, which is it's a love hate relationship. I mean, it's neat to like get to be in somebody's wedding, especially yeah. for someone to ask you to officiate the wedding. That's like that's a big deal. Yeah, I mean, like just the fact that somebody asks you to do that, you're just like, oh, oh yeah. But it's also miserable, <laughs> in a sense, because <laughs> you know if you mess that up, that there could be a grudge, possibly for the rest of your life, if you screw up somebody's wedding. So it's You'll have it all. I finished the script this morning. I you have it all so. written down. Yeah, I think you should I finished be the script. My heart was beating fast while I was doing, like, <laughs> while I was making the script. I've done, yeah. I've done weddings before. It's okay, but yeah, it's just they're stressful. And this one's going to be like 20 minutes long. Oh, yeah. I remember you wanted it. They wanted Which is okay. Longer. I mean, hey, it's their wedding. I told them um, I told them that we would do it however they wanted to because essentially I work for them right. on the day of their wedding. So True. But I have the rehearsal. Oh, oh, oh. The rehearsal dinner is Friday night. And then I get to pick up Ty from the airport. Ty. His flight lands at 10. PM. PM? Yes. Oh, my word. So, his, but I mean, I'll be at the rehearsal dinner until probably 9 anyway. I'll be at Mount Juliet. So. Yeah, true. I gotta go pick up Tid from the airport. Aw. And then... I haven't seen him in a good little he bit. He gets to spend his second night in the house. Really? Yeah, he's only stayed the night here once. Aw. You still can't find the house key. That's another thing I would like to talk about. You still can't find no. your house key? No, my house key's missing. Like, it's... I can't find it. So, I've been... Oh, I shouldn't say this. I, you know... So I had to keep the back sliding door unlocked, and I just like creepily go in the back door of my house because my key is just—it's gone. What? I've done all my laundry, everything, and it's—I can't find it. What? Where'd so, you have it last? I feel like we should talk about this later. Don't yeah, exclude all yeah, the so, information. Yeah, but that's that's an, that's another thing. My my key is missing, and it wouldn't be a big deal because you would think just go to Ace Hardware or your nearest key dealer. And get another one made. That's the only one I have. Yeah, no extra. So that means I'm going to have to rekey the front door, which means I'll have to get a whole new handle, and it's just... I wouldn't be too bad, because your uh, first one isn't, like... I mean, like, it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> the whole electrical 
part of it. Well, it does. It has to be reset. I was going to YouTube that tonight. But anyway, so that's that's new in my life, and I like worry about it. Like all day at work, I'm just like, and what if someone broke in? Someone in my house right now. Like last night, <laughs> I came home. I came home last night, and uh, I've also been sick the last few days, so I wasn't feeling the greatest. But I came in the house, and it was, everything was like pitch black, and I went, "Hello," <laughs> in my own house. I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" Just in case. To make sure nobody, like, like if someone broke in, they would go, "Hey, hey," you know, that's how's it going. But I was just like, "Hello, hello." <laughs> Anyone here? And I turned on the dining room light, and I was like, "Hello." Okay, we're good. No one broke in. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's missing. I don't know where it's at. Oh man, I do not know. Just don't so, give out your address on this. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. But I mean, if, if you want to come look for the key, don't bother anything. Just come look. See, I thought maybe I just left it in my ball shorts pocket. Yeah. Whenever I was given it, whenever I. Whenever I got it back, but then I did all my laundry. Every single piece of laundry that I had dirty, nowhere to be found. Mm. But I even checked every pair of shorts after. After I um, did the laundry, looked in the washer, looked in the dryer, it's gone. Wow, that's weird. It's gone. So we'll look for it here in a minute. We'll it's okay, it. you know. We'll I've, I've, I've accepted that I'm going to have to go to Lowe's and spend a hundred dollars on a new door handle. I'll do but, a quick sweep. I don't like the keypad anyway. Yeah. I feel like I live in an Airbnb. True. So I, I don't like that. True. But so I, I was going to get rid of it eventually, but I wasn't going to right now. Yeah. So I think it'll be fine. I think it will be too. I'll look around. Maybe I'll find it. Fresh eyes, you know. It's true. Anyway, Matthew chapter 17, we finish up Matthew chapter 16. Mm, you're very observant. Sorry. Uh, I feel like that was a lot of sass. I didn't mean in, it. In that. I didn't mean it. Recently, we have been studying about how Jesus has dropped this major information on the disciples and and then how a a excuse me, <laughs> a crucial part of the plan was for him to die and so Peter and the other disciples are kind of struggling to acclimate to that, and so you've heard you've heard that uh, phrase: "A picture is worth a thousand words." Mm-hmm. Well, right here we see the picture. Here in chapter seventeen, verses one through thirteen. Would you like to read one or me? Is that me writing or, or reading or? Mm-hmm. Would you nodding for me to read? No, so I mean I would. Oh, read. okay. Yeah, here, I could do it. All right, starting in verse 1. And after six days, Jesus took out with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face uh, shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, taking with him, um, or talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, um, it is good that we were that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw uh, no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do you, then why do the scribes say, that first Elijah must come. And he answered, Elijah does, does come and he will restore all things. 
But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. And the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. Okay, so first off, six days, it says right in the first three words. Most of the time, gospel writers don't ever mention like specific dates unless it's like correlated to a Jewish feast of some kind. But since it says exact time, we can now relate that these past events from chapter 16 and 17 are connected. And so Jesus is taking Peter, James, and John, and we don't know why he chose them three. We can probably assume that they were maybe the the ones that are starting to lead a little more. But we don't know exactly why. He took them unless I'm completely wrong. But it is said that in other Gospels that they uh, that the three men fell asleep. But in this one, it just goes right into Jesus transfiguring. And it was kind of interesting. The Greek word for transfigured is metamor- metamorpho, which sounds very, very, very close to metamorphosis. Mm-hmm. which is and, and that's exactly what Jesus did, meaning that Jesus changed right before their sight. And then this time, when he does it, Moses is on one side and Elijah's on the other. And so, I don't know how they knew who Moses and Elijah were. It, there is several hundreds of years between, you know, them living and to now. And so, I don't, but anyway, it's important for them to know. And so, we have to remember going back and remembering that it's connected. Going back to why this whole thing happened in the first place is that Peter and the other disciples are struggling with the fact that Jesus has to die. They're, they they just can't they can't fathom it, and I I don't want to you know harp on him too much because I feel like we would be the same way. Because I mean we know why he has to die because we have the Bible and two thousand years of of better understanding than they they are having all this interpreted in just a short amount of time. And so here we have Moses and Elijah, and these are very key points and Jesus kind of appears between them meaning that he's kind of he's central to this and that he's in a divine state he's not like he what he is because I you can see that uh, kind of imagine like a picture of Jesus like a backlit version almost it and it just shows that he's almost too blind to see you can you can look in revelations where John's writing later that you know, he's bright as the sun in his glorified state. And so that's something you can imagine. But Moses and Elijah here play big roles, as in all pertaining to this death theme again. And Moses, if you kind of remember his story, he he saved them from slavery, as Jesus is going to save us from sin. But at the same time, Moses didn't live to see the promise, promised land. He died before it, and his body was never found. And so that kind of acts as a type for us that Jesus is going to die before he will he comes back to take us to heaven. And then you kind of look over again at Elijah and you think of the same thing of how he died. And Elijah, he's walking with Elisha, the one who's going to replace him soon and a chariot of fire separates them. He gets taken up to heaven and he is known for not tasting death. So that's really looking towards Jesus' second coming and how Jesus is going to, he's, he's not going to be on the earth, he's going to die, and then, but at the same time, he's going to come back and take us back after meeting his second coming. And then... What I think is funny here, um, and again, those of you that have listened long enough to know, 
I'm not a history buff. I just can't get into it. Even, unfortunately, even when it comes to biblical history, and I love the Bible, but I just can't, I can't, my brain can't fathom history. Well, it can, and it remembers it for a moment, and then it's gone. I just can't get it to stick. Um, Excuse me. I'm so sorry. That's the third time. Um, I think it's funny because, you know, they're saying in verse 3, and again, I'll read it, but behold, there appeared to Moses and Elijah talking with him, and Peter said to Jesus, and I don't want to harp on this, okay, but there's a method in my madness here. Um, Peter says, Lord, it is good that we were here because um, if you wish, I will make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Like this is an extended stay at the Courtyard Marriott. Well, you, you know, they don't... What? You know why he did that? Why? It's because that's, like that, that's actually like a Jewish feast. Oh, I know that. I know that. <laughs> it's but like, it, so it isn't completely crazy. But it, it still shows time. you It still shows you that they just don't understand. Yeah. Okay, yes, there's the aspect of you don't understand what's going on. And yes, there was a reason why he mentioned that. But he still is just stuck on, you know, we I know the answer, I know the answer. Here's what yeah. we should do. Here's what we should do, you know. And... And again, was that acceptable? Yeah, maybe not right now. But it's just, it's funny to me because, you know, all the time we want to jump out and know the right answer. And here's the method to my madness. You know, do we know right from wrong? We should. Okay, even if you're unchurched, not a Christian, you know what's right from wrong. You You know what you should do and what you shouldn't do. But we get our timing way off all the time as Christians, as non-Christians, as human beings. Because we want to know the answer right now in this moment. Here's what we're going to do. And if it doesn't go with what we think, we're like, oh, well, why well, just don't understand. Yeah. You know, why is God not showing me? Honestly, we are the same way. I will be the same way in this situation, you know, continuing to hear Jesus say, oh, don't tell anybody, don't tell. Why not? Yeah. You know, why Why are you being like this? I want you know, I want to know and I want to know now. And, and that's the way we are. We get our timing off and we need to understand that, hey, maybe this needs to wait. Or, hey, maybe this already happened. Let's not do this again. You know, that's what I'm saying. Like, yes, they had a reason, but their timing is just not right. And that's what we need to understand as Christians is we don't, we can't understand God's time. We can't. You know, we, we, we put a timeline on our life. We put a timeline on all these things and then we get upset when we're like, well, why doesn't God love me? Well, he does. But you put that on your timeline because you don't understand. You know, that's hard for us. That's hard for me to understand because I'm a very like detail oriented Everything has a time, like you know. Yeah. At seven a.m. you do this, and at eight a.m. you do this, and and when I when I can't put a time with something, I I can't handle it. It stresses me out. You know, but that's the way we all are. We're like, well, well, I don't understand God's timing, so therefore something must be wrong. Eh, not necessarily. You just don't understand the whole picture, and that's continually being. Peter isn't quite understanding the entire picture here. And so that that's that's the first thing that stood out to me. And um, if you keep uh, going, I'll just keep going through uh, picking up in verse nine. Uh, 
that in as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until they saw the man, just like you said, tell no one, and which is, again, crazy. Um, then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things, but I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that, and he was speaking to them. And that's a big thing, that understood word, because the entire time we're, we're watching the disciples not understand it. It's completely flying over their head. And even just before that, they were asking about Elijah and Jesus kind of redirecting their their thought process, trying to be like, don't worry about Elijah, what he's going to do in the future. Let's worry about right now. Let's worry about continuing this you know, making sure that this is going to live long and that, and Jesus is, I mean, he has such a short amount of time to really, you know, tell them this message. And so he's just trying to, the whole time he's teaching, he the whole time he's like, Hey, we need to, don't worry, don't worry about the future. Don't worry about Elijah's going to do in the future. Let's worry about right now. And then, and then, like I said, they understood. And that's like a mile marker. It's a checkpoint. It's great for the disciples to, to understand this, but now I'm uh, gonna move on to verses 14 through 21. Are you wanting to read again? Are we? No, okay, okay. So, and when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, kneeling before him, said, "Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire, and often he into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him." And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast out? He said to them, Because because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, You will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And so Matthew kind of drops us into this situation. You can go to Mark 9, and you can read more about how it came to pass. And so, but in Mark, we'll stay in Matthew, but in Mark 9, it just says that the scribes were present, and they were arguing with the crowd about the boy. And this argument is about the really the disciples not healing this man's son they they failed to and so the other count this doesn't come out and say it but the other count say he's demon possessed you can kind of get that as well but there's two ways the demon leaves the body and that's either by death you remember the pigs throwing themselves into the sea killing the person they were uh, inhabiting or whatever uh or god casting him out i mean that's casting out is one of the one of the ways of saying that you know getting the demon out and so jesus is kind of like having to fix this mess that he just stumbled into and we see in luke again that jesus gives them the power to go cast out demons but they can't and so the scribes here kind of seize that moment they're like aha you all aren't who that you say you are you can't be you know working for god or or anything along those lines that they're a fake or or something along those lines and so jesus kind of begins to fix this in verse 17 where he and where he talks to the crowd he talks to the father and he and he talks to his disciples and so you can kind of see the more human part of jesus coming out here he's a little, he's a little more frustrated and he's like you 
uh, again, he says, you twisted generation. And, and so he's kind of getting a little frustrated right now because at the whole time, they're kind of siding with the scribes again. The crowd is saying that, oh, well, they can't be who they say they are because they didn't cast out this demon. And it kind of takes you back to when the Pharisees were turning all the people against him as well when they were accusing him of Satan's work. And so, I mean, he's right here and he's, and he's frustrated because they're, again, accusing him of doing the work of Satan when it's the work of God. And so, and then he just, he's, a, he's like almost frustrated. He's like, kid, get over here. Rebuke. And then the demon leaves. And then, so then he heals the boy and then he kind of pulls the disciples aside and he's just saying that their faith was placed in the wrong area. They probably got a big head because they because Jesus gave them the power to to cast out demons and so when you cast out that demon do you, were you thinking oh wow i am so great or wow i can do this because cuz Jesus gave me the power and so you can have what he says a mustard seed which is just a small increment and so it's not about the scale but it's about where your faith is where it's what the object it is and if you have the right thing if you are believing in the right thing then you can move mountains maybe not literally but but the disciples put power in themselves and not in Jesus and that's why they failed and so that's what and, the, and again let's, let's play off the frustration of Jesus but one thing that you'll see to where it draws the line between Christ and, and us true yes we see his human nature because again like Jackson just said he's frustrated he's upset and all these things, but he doesn't. Yes, he calls them a, a faithless generation or or twisted generation or whatever. Okay, but that's kind of where the rebuking ends, mm-hmm. because he then goes to them whenever he they call um, Jesus to privately. I don't know why I have such a hard time with that. But in verse nineteen, they came to him privately and just said, "Hey, you know, why couldn't we do that? You know, what what, what was what did we do wrong?" And, and yes, he's not beating around the bush, okay, but it's not like a, you idiots, like, listen to yeah. me. It was, you know, basically, you had your faith in the wrong thing. You, you didn't, you weren't seeing that. You know, and that's where I get, you know, a lot of times, my view of God, a lot of it comes from Matthew. Mm-hmm. Because you see, yes, you see kind of the human form coming out in the form of frustration. But see, if this was me... And I was in the situation, I'd be like, you guys are stupid. Oh, yeah. Like, get out of my face. Like, I'm going to go yeah. pick some new disciples because you guys apparently ain't it. You know, that, that would be me. I mean, oh, yeah. seriously. And But but Jesus is saying, you just need to fix this, 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 and this, mm-hmm. and it will be fine. Then, then you can do, or nothing will be impossible if you do that. And so that's, that's what we need to understand. Our view of Christ, our view of God, shouldn't be... Uh, you know, yes, we do serve a, um, not, a not a vengeful, I shouldn't say that, but we do serve a jealous God. We do serve a God that is going to tell it to you straight, I mean, through his word. But we need to understand that just because we mess up doesn't mean that we're going to get an earful. You know, we've put the human spin on this and we're like, oh, you know, because at work if you mess up and you go to your boss and you're just like, hey, um, and the first time, maybe it's okay, but then the next time... I mean, think about how many times the disciples have, let's just say, screwed up to this point. Yeah. And if we do that in real life, think about just somebody of authority over you, and you're just have to walk up to them and be like, 
So this is what happened. Yeah. And they explode and they go again, you know, and there's over, you know, and that's, that's, that's our view of God. Mm-hmm. You know, so many people say that they don't want to be a Christian or they can't be a Christian. Oh, because I've done so much. Get that phrase out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. Because look at the way he nurtures his disciples. And yes, he's, he's calling them out. And, you know, when we have sin, it, it gets called out in the Bible. Okay, get over it. But Jesus is saying, try this. Do it this way. You know, if you do it this way, then it's going to work. And he, he works the same way in our life. You know, yes, we all mess up every single day. And if you just think about it and you pray about it and you truly are seeking this vulnerability and this relationship with Christ, then he'll direct your path and say, hey, why don't you try it this way? Or, hey, why don't you do it this way and not this way and stay away from those people and stay away from those things and, and do this? Then it's going to work. And so we just don't have the right view of Christ, because our view is the human view, mm-hmm. which is, you know what, I can find better disciples anywhere. You know, then it's like whenever Schmidt says, I'd rather sit butt naked on a grill than to deal with this and <laughs> yes. the grill. That's what Jesus is like, I'd rather sit butt naked on a grill than deal with you <laughs> folks. You know, I just thought about that the other day and I was like, I love that quote. But that's not the way Christ is. Right. You know, he's like, yes, I know you guys aren't, not, I shouldn't say this, but. You know, yes, you guys may not get it the first time, and maybe not even the second time, but you can do it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's things that we can do here. Just try it this way. And we, we don't understand that. We don't understand the love that Christ has, because if you do that to anybody else or in any other situation in our lives, it's not going to be, hey, just do it this way. It's going to be, get in my face. You know, and that's the disciples are truly seeing the nurturing of Christ, the teaching of ability of Christ through all the mess ups that they've done. Mm-hmm. And so you would think if he does it for somebody like that, you know, I think he'll take care of us. I think he'll take care of, of his children. Because, yes, you know, we are handpicked. We are his children. Mm-hmm. Okay, but here's the deal we all are handpicked, not just a few of us. Every single one of us are designed to be God's children. It's whether we choose to, to allow that to happen or not. But just think about the love that he has for his children to where you can say, Okay, well maybe this didn't work. Maybe maybe I'm caught up in this temptation or this sin. And then you pray about it, you read the Bible about it, you think about it, and it's like, oh, you know what? I need to do it this way. You know, I, I believe that God actively works in our lives every day. I, I believe that, that you're put in situations and your people are put in your lives and all these things. And it's, it's yes, it's cool, but then you're like, That's, that was the way of, of God nudging me and saying, hey, do it this way. Try this. Yeah. It's going to work. You know, that's what we need to understand. Whether we've been a Christian for 50 years or we've been a Christian for less than six months, you know, the same love and nurture is there, but don't don't confuse that with, yes, we still have things that we have to do. Yes, the disciples needed to understand, hey, you're you're wrong, but I'm going to show you how to fix it. Thanks and then, for letting me know. Well, let my Google home, home has awoken. What? <laughs> Sorry about that. I don't even think I, anyway. But I mean, yes, they, they need to understand that they're wrong, but it's not a, hey, you're stupid wrong. Hey, it's, hey, let me teach you from that and show you that you can fix that. You know, that's how we need to view Christ. So in verse 22, it says, and as they were gathered in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day as, and... Um, they were greatly distressed. 
Well, I just I like how the little subheading in my Bible says Jesus again foretells his death and resurrection. Just keep showing his his caring that he's not giving up on the disciples. He's going to continue to tell them that death is part of the plan and that it's all okay. You know, and so. And they're still distressed. Yes, they're still like, oh my gosh. <laughs> they're still distressed. Jesus is going to die. So, do you want to finish? I or? think we can. Okay. So, starting in verse 24, it says, When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? And he said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their son or from others? And when he had said from others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give an offense to them, go to the sea, cast a hook, and take the fish, the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find the shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. And so I like how Peter comes in after talking to the tax collectors, and Jesus already knows what's going to happen. And so he immediately just cuts him off and asks him this question. And he takes this and uses a simple example to establish more of a principle, meaning that there's a distinction here between uh, to be made between lawgivers and law keepers. So the ones who we have to think that the law back then is completely different than what we have today. We are in a democracy, and most of the kingdoms at the time were in a monarch, and so the law givers, so the monarchy, they instruct the law keepers on what to do they they are in those are obliged to do it and but at the same time you wouldn't tax well stay stay on the tax situation you wouldn't tax your own family because it's i mean it's most of the time they wouldn't tax their own family or even like their small council of friends or something along those lines and so and i mean it just didn't make sense and so jesus takes this and uses uses it as in the where was it at? The two drachma tax, which was in Moses' time, each person over the age of 20 had to give half a shekel of an offering, and that was just to support the tabernacle. That was just to keep the keep the lights on, if you would say. And so it, he's telling Peter here, kind of, he, this is another situation of him showing his true identity that he is divine. He is a human, yes. But he's also God at the same time, and he's just saying, why would a king pay taxes on his own house? So why would Jesus pay this two drachma tax that's going to the church? Why would he do that? Because he instituted it, if you would say. And so that's just another way of Jesus really showing his true identity. Again, kind of just reiterating to Peter that I, I, I'm God, but I'm also a human. And so... If you still look at this, why did Peter kind of say yes then? Why did he say, oh yeah, my, my teacher is going to pay that? And it, I think Peter kind of still fails to appreciate Jesus is God in the flesh. And he, he, he knew he was Christ, but he still doesn't really grasp it. And we can't, we can't see Jesus as God because then we would overlook some of the sacrifices that he would make and having to come into his creation. But then we can't see him merely as a human because then we wouldn't appreciate him as our savior. And so we have to find that balance in both as seeing Jesus is more than a man and, and of God. And so once we understand that we can 
kind of more consider why he has to die. We have to. We can now see more of the the plan. The that Jesus's death was the plan of God to save us from eternal punishment, and it it wasn't an accident. It wasn't Plan B. It was exactly what it needed to be. So Jesus takes a simple lesson about taxes and leads Peter to think in a larger consideration that he is the son of God and and how that's a huge thing to grasp and sometimes it's hard to. Um, and then that's that's also the thing about faith is that in the Old Testament, especially in Isaiah, it says that Jesus, most of the time, that he isn't much of a looker. I'm not going to say that he's ugly because that feels wrong, but he's not appealing, if you would say. Um, kind of like a funny joke is that if you could see Jesus today, he's probably going to be shorter than what you think. <laughs> he's probably he's probably not going to be uh, as tall as what you think. And so, I mean, and why would he's a uh, he's from a backwater place called Nazareth where nothing good can come out of it. He was born in a manger to parents who weren't even married. And then he grew up to be a carpenter, and that's a profession that no one cares about. And so Jesus was to to be depicted as a ordinary person. He's he's not the the glam. He doesn't look like a king. He's supposed to be ordinary, and that's because that's why faith is not by sight. It's so us that we would have faith in him, not because he looked like Ryan Reynolds, but because. He is who he is and what he stands for and his love for us and that we would love him back. And, and then I like how I feel like I've never really read verse 27. I feel like I've always skipped over that on how he just tells Peter to go and cast the hook into the sea and whatever first fish you catch, it's going to have a shekel in its mouth. And it did. And I, I felt like I've overlooked that so many times. But Jesus is just like saying, let's avoid this offending uh, these guys and uh, but he does it still in a way that only God can do it. And that is that is very comical. Jesus has a very good sense of humor. And so uh, I just feel like I've overlooked that part specifically in scriptures many of times. Yeah. <laughs> but That's just the way, the way that Christ teaches is something that we have to pay attention to. Because it's not going to be on the small whiteboard written in plain letters <laughs> for you to see all the time. It's not. I mean, it's not going to just be in plain sight. Sometimes you do have to do some work on your end, and then you'll go, oh, I understand now. I get it. And that's what, slowly and slowly, he's uncovering all these things. But I think that's funny, too. Just go go to the water, uh, cast a hook, first fish you come up, take the coin out of his mouth, take care of our tax for us. You know, <laughs> it's just, just so like, funny. okay. Like, so I imagine somebody said that to you. Go out to Center Hill, cast, you know, whatever you got. First fish you pull up, 20 bucks. I've never signed any money and no fish. Right. <laughs> you know, but that's just, that's just again, showing you the different way that Christ teaches and the different, you know, methods that he uses to continue to advance his gospel. So that's all we got this week. So that was Matthew 17, and we'll start with Matthew 18 next week. We're getting closer. So don't be taking our small whiteboard ideas, you <laughs> thieves. <laughs> Have a good week. See y'all.